Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to 1874 London. Oh, this seems so foggy and dirty and germy. And dark. And dark. Black and white film. And white. <laughs> oh, Very white. I mean, it's true, but we'll get to that A later. little black and mostly white. <laughs> and we are doing Aaron's pick, 1944. Gaslight. Gaslight. Well, Gaslight is, um, there is a newlywed unaware that her seemingly charming husband is a crazed murderer. <laughs> Oops, spoiler. <laughs> After they move into her family's Victoria mansion, he schemes to drive her insane while he searches for a hidden cache of rubies. Ooh. And it is quite good. What are the particulars, Erin? Oh, the particulars. So, Gaslight, 1944. It was released May 4th, 1944. Directed by... George Cooker, who we've heard his name before because, as we know, he was replaced as the director on Gone with the Wind. He also did Dinner at Eight, The Philadelphia Story, two things that we did. We've done. Uh-huh. Adam's Rib, Born Yesterday, which I'm sure we're going to do at some point. A Star is Born from 1954, I believe. And Ooh. My Fair Lady. Yeah, he did The Star is Born with Judy Garland. Yeah. Also, nerd alert, if it wasn't for this guy, this George Cukor guy, Judy Garland would have worn a blonde wig in The Wizard of Oz. He also wow. was instrumental in adjusting her makeup and costume design and for having her act more natural. And he also was instrumental, I think, in casting the guy that was the Tin Man. He had a lot of, he had a lot of sway and behind-the-scenes pull in The Wizard of Oz. Can you imagine Dorothy as a blonde, no. acting unnatural? <laughs> and he was known as a a woman's director. Well, that's there's another nerd alert. He did get that reputation. It somewhat bristled him a bit. But actually, he is responsible for the most, for directing the most best actor Oscar winners for the male side. Oh. So even though he has the reputation of, of being very good with female actresses, he, his best actors tended to win more in history. Wow. Now, I didn't write down the full list. That's a good, that's, that's. Yeah. Cool. Okay. It was. Um, it was produced by Arthur Hornblow Jr. He was married to the actress Myrna Loy from 1936 to 1942. I thought that was a nerd alert. He also produced Witness for the Prosecution, The Asphalt Jungle, and Oklahoma! Where the wind comes whipping down. I've never seen Oklahoma. I can sing all the songs from it. Were you in it or something? No, we had we had show tune albums when I was little, and it was the only thing to listen to. So I used to listen to them. Oh, it was your thriller. It was my thriller. 
Except it didn't end up tearing your heart out of its chest 30-something years later. No. Nice. No. You can still listen to Oklahoma. I can still... I'm sure that there was a lot of Me Too going on during <laughs> Oklahoma, but... Yeah, there's not. there's no uncomfortableness of like I used to really like PYT and now it is utterly creepy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pretty young thing. Oh, man. All right. Screenplay by John Van Drutten. He also did wrote the play. I am a camera. Why does that sound familiar? Because remember from Cabaret. I Am a Camera was the play that was based on the Berlin story that then got oh. turned into the cabaret. Remember? It was that whole thing. How there I was don't like. remember. For Cabaret, it was like based on a book. And I remember that Cabaret play. was based on. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't remember the name of it was I Am a Camera. Well, yeah. I mean, there was like so many different incarnations and stuff. And then um, Walter Reich who also wrote Nicochica, which I always forget about when it's my turn to pick. Oh, man. Because that movie always shows up. And mm -hmm. he wrote That Hamilton Woman and Comrade X and Journey to the Center of the Earth. And then John Bowderstun, he wrote Dracula and an early script of Frankenstein and The Mummy and The Bride of Frankenstein. And obviously wow. I'm talking about like the old universal right. classic monster movies here and he was un did an uncredited work on gone with the wind oh mm -hmm. and it's based on the play gaslight by patrick hamilton who also wrote the play rope that was made into a 1948 movie by alfred hitchcock yes the music is by Branislaw caper He's famous for a jazz standard on Green Dolphin Street and Invitation. He also did the music on The Stranger, Red Badge of Courage, Them, Butterfield 8, and Mutiny on the Bounty. Didn't we do Butterfield 8? Wasn't that Elizabeth Taylor and she was the uh, yes. lady of the evening? Yes. Yes. And the director of photography was Joseph Ruttenberg. He had in his career 10 Oscar nominations. He, this is just a little bit of the movies that he worked on. A Day at the Races, The Women, The Philadelphia Story, Woman of the Year, Mrs. Miniver, Brigadoon, Gigi, and Butterfield 8. Wow. It was edited by Ralph E. Winters, this Gaslight was his first major film after he had done several B-movies, and he also did several of the Dr. Kildare series. Dr. Kildare! Oh, I was in love. And he did Oscar, but I'm guessing that this Dr. Kildare was older. Mm. There was a Dr. Kildare before my Dr. Kildare. Yeah, I don't think this was your Dr. Kildare. No. He got Oscar wins for editing King Solomon's Minds and Ben-Hur. He also did Seven Brides, Seven Brothers, On the Town, High Society, Jailhouse Rock, The Thomas Crown Affair, The Pink Panther, The Party, Ten, Victor Victoria. And his last film was, I think it was 1994's Cutthroat Island. 
with Gina Davis. Oh. So I was like, wow, that guy was cutting movies for a long time. He actually mm-hmm. wrote a book that I, I'm, you know, I might one day want to read. I mean, I should read it, but you know how I am with reading. So about all of his time editing movies. Huh. It's probably a wealth of information that I should read. So we'll probably. see how that goes. The cast is Charles Boyer. He played. Boyer. Charles Boyer, baby. Oh, sorry. French. Charles Boyer. He played Gregory Anton. He's a French he actor. He was also in Barefoot in the Park, Casino Royale, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, Algiers, and 1939's Love Affair. He was also in Tales of Manhattan. Okay. I don't know what that is. Well, you'll find out. Oh, interesting. And Ingrid Bergman, who yes. I I can't help. I just keep calling her Rosalini. <laughs> I, I, I think because I'm so used to Isabella Rosalini. Right, right. And I'm like, she looks just like her. So I'm just like, that's Rosalini. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that's Ingrid. That's Ingrid Bergman. No. Did they ever get married? I don't know. There was they I, always I mention the scandal did. and I didn't really look into the scandal. I didn't I, I just know it was a huge scandal because I think they were both married to other people when she got pregnant with Isabella. Oh. So I don't know if they ever got married or not. I don't think it was Isabella. I thought it was the the other that Isabella was second. Well, maybe. I don't know, but maybe not. Um, she plays Paula Alquist Anton. I mean, we know her from Casablanca, Spellbound, Notorious, Anastasia, and Murder on the Orient Express, just to name a few of hers. Uh, and then we have Joseph Cotton, who he seems to come up a lot on Gone with mm-hmm. the Bushes. Mm-hmm. He was Brian Cameron. He was in Citizen Kane, The Third Man, The Magnificent Ambersons, Shadow of a Doubt, Niagara, Touch of Evil, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, Soylent Green, and Heaven's Gate, to name a few. Yes. And we have May Witty. She played Miss Bessie Thwaites. And I'm sorry, that's Dame Mary Louise Webster or Dame May Witty. She Uh was... One of the first two women entertainers to become a dame. Really? And here's a nerd alert. So the British version of, so the British, it's called Equity, and it's the British Union for Theater Directors, Fight Directors, Choreographers, Set Designers, Costume Designers, Lighting Designers, Actors, Stage Managers, Models, and Performers. And you'll hear about it when the, um, actresses and British people win, they'll say like, oh, equity. And I didn't really know what that was, but it's their union. It's like their SAG. It was started in her house in 1929. Wow. So she's a bit of a big deal. And another nerd alert, she didn't come to Hollywood to make movies. I mean, she was acting and she's stage, obvious royalty and stuff. But then at 72, she came to Hollywood and was like, let me try my hand at this Hollywood stuff. Wow. So she was also the lady in Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes. She's the one who vanished. Oh. She was in Suspicion and Mrs. Miniver and 
Green Dolphin Street. And then oh. finally we have the film <laughs> debut. 17-year-old. Of a 17-year-old Angela Lansbury. Excuse me, that's Dame Angela Lansbury. This movie has two dames in it. It does. And her very first film, and dang, if she didn't hold her own against old Ingrid. I know. She was just a spitfire. She was, she was great. Also in the picture of Dorian Gray, the Manchurian Candidate, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. She was in the stage musicals Gypsy, Sweeney Todd, The King and I. And if you are someone that's around my age or older, you know her simply as Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. Murder, She Wrote. There are the particulars. Okay, well, it starts out with suspenseful music. For some reason, I actually went back and looked up who did the music. Because there was something about the music at the beginning that got me interested. Well, I told you who did the music. I know, but but I'm saying I went back when when the movie first started. I went back to the credits to see who did the music. I don't know why, but I did. Something tickled oh. your fancy. It did. And then there is a gas light burning. And we are in Thornton Square. And there was an unsolved murder in Thornton Square. Well, there is a gas lighter. I'm sure he had a name, but the man who goes around and lights all the gas light street lights because it's not done with a flip of the switch. There's no electricity is what you're saying. And there is a very young looking Ingrid Bergman being put in a carriage. Well, Matt, you forget because it shows a newspaper and the newspaper says like big letters unsolved murder and then you find out that it's her aunt that was murdered and she was an opera prima donna and it's never been solved at which point my notes i said her aunt was murdered and a prima donna i'm in do tell movie do tell do tell well the, the man in the carriage with her is sending her off to Italy to Signor Guardi, who was the best friend of her aunt. And um, he's, she's supposed to forget everything that happened at that house, the murder of her aunt. Okay, so now we're in Italy. And it is um, a, um, an older Paula. Ingrid Bergman and well, she's taking I mean is it though because that's the funny part in the beginning when she comes when she gets whisked away and all of the bystanders looking at her because she's supposed I'm like how old is is she supposed to be because it's Ingrid Bergman so it's not like she was a little girl but then when they're talking later and she's older she's still not old she's still supposed to be young so how young was she in the movie i don't know they do this in my i guess it has partly my problem because to me ingrid bergman is always just like in her late 30s in my mind (laughs) 
Yeah. Even and she if, probably was. No, she but, wasn't. I did the math because she was born in 1915. So she was about almost 30. Oh, okay. So in my mind, the young girl was probably supposed to be about 11. That's impossible, though, because she... It's laughable to suggest she was 16, but I'll go with it. But anything and, younger than, oh, she's supposed to be younger than 16, you needed to have a different girl. Right. Um, and then 11 years later is when we're seeing her uh, taking the singing lessons. So, like, she, if, because I feel like she was supposed to be pretty young as the girl as the story unfolds. And then 11 years yeah. later, she'd be like 22 because she's supposed to be um, a, a very um, impressionable, young, naive girl. But she didn't, given her class, though, she could still be all of that and 29. You know? Okay. Like the, okay, let's go with the it. The sheltered. Yeah, uh, she was quite sheltered. You know, the okay. sheltered, privileged life that she has. Okay, well, she's taking singing lessons, and I got to tell you, she ain't great. Do you think that and really was her? I thought that they probably dubbed that in. They probably didn't. Uh, it was it was opera, but okay. And so there is a senior Anton who is the piano player, and that is our Charles Boyer. Well, see, I did not know. I just was like, oh, that guy. I hovered in my POC count. When I saw him, I said, hmm, I think this is about as ethnic as this movie is going to get. Mm -hmm. Is he, because I was like, but is he Spanish? So I did not know. Well, his name is Senor Anton, so maybe he was supposed to be. I think he's French. It was it was just me. I saw oh, someone who... Italy. That's why his name's Senior. Okay. Yeah. Because he is French, and he said something later about being French. Yeah. Okay. Well, her um, Senior Guarde, her um, aunt's good friend who is giving her the singing lessons, says, you know, something's off with you. You used to be good, and you're not good now. Um, and she says, I haven't the voice. And... Um, he said that you look happier and your singing is worse. So you are in love <laughs> and happiness is better than art. So go and do your happiness thing. Yeah. Well, so I guess he <clears throat> knew that she wasn't very good <clears throat> and was just like, yeah, go ahead because it is kind. Well, I'll get to that later. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. And so then she is with Gregory, Senior Anton, and he wants to marry her. And she says, I don't know anything about you. It's only been two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Have we learned nothing? Oh, no, they don't know. They don't know yet. Like, girl, you don't know. You don't have yeah. Keith Morrison telling you how it is. Yeah. Well, she says, I think I should go away for a week and just think about it. And so um, 
he says, I'll be here waiting and in love with you. So she's on the train and on the train is a woman. And the woman um, will from now on be called Gladys Kravitz for me. Ah, well, this is Dame Witty. Dame Witty. And um, she's reading a book and... Um, uh, and the book is about uh, a woman who was married to a man who had six wives buried in his basement. Uh, and they're on the way to Lake Como. So that was supposed to be a, uh, what is that called? Premonition. Uh, um, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <clears throat> well, um, she is saying, did she, was she talking about Thornton Square in the train? Well, it it gets brought up. I think she maybe brings it. Somehow it gets brought up. Basically, it's if you listen to my favorite murder, it becomes a hometown murder because Thornton Square gets brought up. That's where the dame lives, Dame Kravitz. She lives in Thornton Square, and then she starts saying like, "Oh man, so a couple years ago, we had a murder girl." And it's unsolved. <laughs> the woman was strangled. And it's really awkward because, you know, people like to discuss a certain segment. Large populations of people like to discuss true crime. And can you imagine it's something that you just strike up with? Uh, it's, it's pretty much it. Oh, it's like my worst fear where you're like, oh, I interesting. I heard of blah, blah, blah. And then you find out that it was the victim, like that the victim's family and you can't get your foot out of your mouth fast <laughs> enough because, you know, you it you're, you don't want to be dis like the woman isn't being disrespectful. She has no idea, but it is a it is a significant trigger for this woman <laughs> to just hear. Yeah. Uh, the about that murder but she doesn't say which i would be like yeah that was my aunt thanks a lot and like kind of flip the script and make the woman feel really bad maybe get a few drinks out of it for myself <laughs> but ingrid bergman doesn't she does her 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 great and amazing like uh, she starts like freaking out, like mm, I will malfunction soon. I am very <laughs> uncomfortable, but I'm not going to tell my displeasure on this subject. And this woman's just—I'm going to hope and pray that this woman decides to shut up. But I don't think she ever will get the hint, and she doesn't. So, so Ingrid kind of goes into her autistic rocking. She, <laughs> she doesn't does. actually rock, but you can see. Yeah, she is extremely fragile. Especially when it comes to the murder of her, um, yeah, her aunt. So um, she is at Lake Como, and there is Anton. He Gregory. He shows up. Um, I hope you don't mind, darling. I just couldn't live without you. When she needed a week to think about if she wanted to marry him or not. Mm -hmm. And she goes, if you hadn't come, I would have sent for you. That's like, girl, you need to listen to some Lizzo. Okay. <laughs> and so now she has a ring on her finger. Well, first of all, 
it, he comes out in his dressing robe onto this beautiful balcony and she's in the bed. And I went, what? They like, they, what? Uh, no, she has a ring on her finger. So they got married. Ah. And so um, he's talking about where would you like to settle down? And um, then he goes, London. And so, of course, she starts her autistic rocking. And um, he says, I've always longed for a home of my own in a little London square. (laughs) She's rocking more severely now. Well... It just so happens that my mother's sister has a place at 9 Thornton Square. It's a house of horror. (laughs) But you know what? I haven't been afraid since I've known you. Even though I'm rocking back and forth (laughs) as soon as you mentioned moving to London and wanting a house on a square. I just, but okay. (laughs) And, and I feel like it starts with a T-H. I just, in my dream, there was always a T-H square. And the number the number nine comes to me. Okay, so she goes, oh, I haven't been afraid since I've known you. You cast the fear out of me. So you shall have your house on the square, even though I call it a house of horror. Yeah. I'm like, girl, you are doing too much compromising here. Yeah. There is not you're leaning in and he's leaning out. There's yeah. what's going on. He's really not that into you. He's into the house on Thornton Square. He was okay. really particular about his dreams. Like how many people say, you know what? Been all over this world. What I really want is a house in a square in London. Yeah. That's little, my dream. Okay. Well, they're back in London. Uh, The woman from the train is in the square, and she's nosy, of course, and she welcomes Paula and Gregory. And as soon as they go in the house, she is freaked. And she says, please light the gas. And that is such a thing in here. I mean, it's called gaslight, Mm -hmm. duh. But it's so eerie how the you have to use the match. I'm always afraid of gas. Yeah. Stop it, Karen. Why? You've grown up. Um, because in Germany, I used to have to light the pilot light with a match all the time. I was always afraid it would explode. I was going to say that because, so we find out, because Kravitz finds out somebody's coming because the the man, the pipe man, he has like the key and he's turning on the gas to them so under all the streets is just gas going into all these houses are gas Uh how are there not multiple explosions like people had to blow themselves up they did okay they did wow i mean there's a pilot light so like the you have to you have to turn something so the gas comes on so you can light it yeah, so it's not like you, gas is just flowing all the, but if gas is in the pipes in order to exactly. turn it on. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's still the same today. But yeah. also their matches. So I guess some did something happen with match safety because you it <gasps> seems as though you could just strike a match on anything and it would light. Funny you should ask. <laughs> really? Because in seventh grade. <laughs> 
I did a research paper. No way. Matches. I did. And it was phenomenal. I mean, my <laughs> science teacher was blown away with the research I did on safety matches. That's when matches became where you would where you would um, close the matchbook before you lit the match. Mm -hmm. Because before that, you'd light the match and light all the matches sometimes. Wow. Yeah. I an entire research paper. So did they Thanks. change the did they change the tip of the match so that you had to kind of strike it against that like something that was coarse like that sandpaper yeah. thing? Yeah. Because this guy, this boyer guy, he's walking in um down the street and he just goes to like a fence and strikes it and it's able to match. And I just thought that seems like a very sensitive match head. Yeah, for they were all that sensitive. gas, and there's all yeah. this gas going on everywhere. Hence the need for safety matches. So when did the safety matches come into play? Erin, I was in seventh grade. Yeah. Well. The thought of that research paper coming back to me right now is just tickling me pink. Yeah, well, it is tickle. So it was the early 60s, so at least we know that matches... They had to be safety before the early 60s. Right. Okay. That's good enough for me. Okay. Well, um, it, it, she says the whole place seems to smell of death. <laughs> and we're going to live here and be happy. Mm -hmm. Right there was where I found the twisted body of my aunt who had been strangled by a stranger we have never caught. Oh, look, here are all of her precious artifacts with the glass broken. Nothing yeah, taken. She, she kept all of her treasured things in a glass case that you had to open with a key. And she had memorized everything in that glass case because when her aunt was in a particularly good mood, um, probably after some illegal drugs, she would let... Um, Paula go in and look at all of her stuff and there was one glove and she said she didn't have the match to it because she had given that glove to a very special person and Gregory's face goes da, da, da. So I thought Gregory had the other glove because already you know Gregory killed her aunt oh yeah I mean you just knew okay so um, uh, I found her in front of the fire. She was strangled. Oh, but darling, we will make it a new house. You'll get rid of all of these things. We'll put them up in the attic and we'll get all new things here. And she used to have people and parties all the time. And he's going, no, 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 no. no. Maybe later. Right now, it's just, just us, just the two of us. And Gregory gets on the piano and starts playing. He's playing the aunt's greatest song she sang. Ooh. And Paula's looking through things, and she finds an old letter that was written two days before the murder. Ooh. And it was signed, Sergius Bauer. Well, Gregory grabs it out of her hand. Oh, Gregory freaks out. Almost as much as Paula freaked out walking into this 
House of Horrors. Yes. Gregory gets very angry, like snatches the letter out of her hand and crumples it up. And I'm like, you, you're not seeing this, Ingrid? Yeah. You, you're not Obviously, he surges Bauer. Hmm. Well, outside, Gladys Kravitz um, talks to the cook, but the cook is nearly deaf. Yes. So that's important because the cook can't hear all the stuff that's going on. And Gladys is saying, I'd love to see her, see her. And the cook is going, she's not feeling well. She's, you know, she's, she didn't get out much. Well, Gregory decides to hire a new maid for the house. This is where we get Angela, Angela Lansbury. Her name is Nancy. And, um, She's rather tartish. I was she's just tart. thinking that. Very tartish. Very tartish. And uh, it looks like, you know, being a maid isn't her thing, but uh, she's going to do it because there is some flirting going on between the two of them. Well, and in all honesty, Angela Lansbury's character flirts with everything. Oh, everything every male thing she didn't she was she was she couldn't be bothered by the women yeah but she did make the comment about the um because the older the other woman the woman who can't hear she's like oh am i gonna have to i saw the way she was looking at me i'm gonna have to sleep in the same room with her does that mean yeah. like you know because obviously there's this woman is used to jealousy from other women and right she wants the attention of men. Mm -hmm. Well, um, okay. So, uh, it's their three month anniversary needs to be mended. Something needed to be mended. He gives her a, uh, a cameo brooch that had been his mother's grant, his mother's mother's or something. And, oh, it needed to be fixed. The clasp on it needed to be fixed because mm. she tried to put it on right away. And he goes, no, it needs to be fixed. You'll lose it. So here, put it in your purse. And uh, I'm going to put it in your purse for you. And we'll, you know, deal with that later. Because you are inclined to lose things. Mm -hmm. And then they go out the door and she's so happy to be out of the house. So it's obvious he's keeping her pretty much uh, barricaded in the house. Um, at one point, somebody says to somebody, the master keeps telling her she's ill. Well, they go to the Tower of London. Do you remember going to the Tower of London and I seeing do. the crown jewels? I don't remember seeing the crown jewels. I yeah, remember they were, the tower. They were down in the basement and you could only, like, you had to keep walking. You weren't allowed to stop and look. You had to keep walking. Oh. Um, well, in the tower, she realizes that um, the brooch is missing. And so she goes looking for it. And she is totally freaked out because obviously she keeps losing things. Um, Joseph Cotton sees her and it looks like he's seen a ghost. And he tips his hat to her. and Which I thought said, was weird because I didn't think that he, I couldn't understand. I thought that he recognized him. Me too. Because if I think that I see a ghost, 
maybe it's because I wasn't raised an aristocrat, but my first inclination is not to tip the old cap to the ghost. I would be like, <gasps> what? But he tips his cap. So that's why I thought that he knew the man. I thought, from the way he looked, I thought he recognized the man and it was no good. But he was uh, recognizing the aunt because uh, evidently Paula looks just like the aunt. Yes. Or aunt, depending on who we're talking to. And um, so Charles Boyer is saying, you know, you're forgetful and you're losing things and you get so tired. And she yawns. Well, he, and she's like, I'm not tired. He is literally salivating at these crown jewels. Yeah. He, he is. is talking about every one of the stones in the coronation crown of Queen Victoria. Yeah. I, it kind of made me wonder. I was like, hmm, smoking jacket. He seems very fastidious in his appearance. He knows all about the crown jewels. Is this guy really into you, Ingrid? Is he? He was he was lusting over those jewels more than he ever lusted over Ingrid. Yes. And Joseph Cotton is watching them. Okay. Well, we're back home. Um, the up upstairs, it's a townhouse on Thornton Square, of course. And the very up upstairs is all boarded off. So uh, back home, he says, oh, darling, uh, give me the brooch so I can get it fixed. And she goes, I can't find it. And he's, how did you lose it? And she goes, suddenly I'm beginning not to trust my memory at all. This is called gaslighting, people. This is when someone tries to make you think you're going crazy. Mm -hmm. <sighs> America. <laughs> well, Joseph Cotton meets Gladys Kravitz in the square. And he's asking about Paula. And she's going, well, she hardly goes out. It's really weird. And the door opens and Paula comes out. And he goes, see, she's out. And um, Nancy asks her where she's going. And so she doesn't really have an answer to that. And then Nancy asks her, what should she, what should she tell a Senior Anton if he asks? At which point, Paula just runs back inside. Just a mess. <laughs> ah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the housemaid, Nancy, is carrying on with the policeman on the beat. So Joseph Cotton goes to Scotland Yard, and he's digging into this old murder of Alice Alquist. Mm -hmm. And he the goes, cold case I, file. I have a feeling something peculiar is going on with Jules, and I think that's why she was murdered. Um, so you were able to piece that all together from what, Cotton? The way he was drooling over the crown jewels. Because remember, Joseph Cotton knew her. Oh, we didn't know that. Yeah. We don't know that yet. So um, we don't know yet, but we do now because I just blew it. <laughs> so um, 
he uh, and the the inspectors going well those jewels she had were much too famous for anybody to steal them and be able to sell them so you know it doesn't make any sense for somebody to kill her over jewels that they can't sell so she had jewels because i didn't get i had to read this after i watched the movie because i didn't really understand the jewels because it, i mean the jewels are the MacGuffin, so it's not really that important to understand but she was given because this the aunt was she had admirers of all sorts royalty all sorts of men loved her and someone who was royal gave her precious jewels right rubies or something right from the from the description at the beginning of the movie it was a cache of rubies but it looked like uh when we actually see some jewels that there are others in involved as well so but the but the rubies were what is the the prized possession like what's really valuable that's what yeah well the jewels because it looked like a big ass diamond too but so did everyone know that she had these jewels? I think it was, that was a thing. I didn't understand how this guy knew about the jewels. Oh, but wait, all will be revealed. Okay. Okay. So we're just finding out now that she had a bunch of jewels and that's why Joseph Cotton thinks she was murdered. But the the, but the Scotland Yard people are going. She, nobody could sell them because they're too famous. Yeah, and there and she had the you know her treasures and stuff, and like nothing was taken from her treasures. Right. So the glass was broken so that they could get in, but nothing was taken. Right. Okay. Well, then Joseph Cotton meets a, an officer at Scotland Yard, and he goes, "Hey, how would you like to get a new beat on a nice little square?" He wants this beat officer to be on the square so that Angela Lansbury's Nancy is involved with him, which gives Joseph Cotton um, time when Nancy's out of the house and he can go into the house. Because mm -hmm. he, okay. he needs to get to Paula. He needs to, to get, grab her by the shoulders and shake her and be like, girl, what's going on? Right. Well, back at the at the townhouse a um gregory and paula are arguing over the servants because gregory wants them to be servants and and um, paula wants to be nicer to them she doesn't want them to have to do everything for her which okay this is what so paula wants more coal on the fire and she is a foot from the fire which mm -hmm. makes her what a foot and a half from the coal. And Gregory says, if you want more coal on the fire, call the the servants to do it. That's what they're here for. And but she's like, but I don't want that. They're all the way downstairs. I'm right here. I can just put the coal. And she's like, how dare you? And it, ah, it was just very uncomfortable. Yeah. At that point, go, you're an asshole. Yeah. I can... Yeah, but they get they, out of my house of horrors. And did you notice how the thing that they like the bell, it doesn't you don't hear the bell, right? Like, but they hear it and stuff, and then right. they have to come up and and do, do I, you watch Downton Abbey? I don't. It was a bell pull, and then it makes the bell ring downstairs. They don't have to hear the bell. Yeah. The servants have to hear the bell. 
okay, well, Nancy comes up and is like, well, okay, I'll put Cole on your fire. But he is flirting with Nancy. Mm-hmm. And um, in front of Ingrid Bergman. And he's talking about her beautiful skin. And maybe you could give some pointers to my wife uh, how to keep her skin beautiful. Because, you know. Yeah. And did Nancy say, well, I do go outside every day. Um, and then then um, Paula is upset and he goes, Paula, you're not imagining things again, are you? And then he's saying, I do not want people in this house. So um, tell her mistress is, to, oh. Somebody comes to the house and he goes, I don't want people at the house. It's Gladys and Joseph Cotton coming in. And um, she wants to see them. She wants to see people. She wants to see anybody. And he's going, um, Angela Lansbury, go tell the mistress is too ill to see anyone. Um, and so she's down. And then he goes, oh, um, I have to get dressed. And she goes, for what? We're going out tonight. I'm taking you out tonight. Oh, my God, she is giddy. I get out of this house. So she gets all, and he goes, didn't I tell you? You must have forgotten. It's my surprise for you. We're going to the theater tonight. Oh, she is so happy. She is dancing around the room and singing like a crazy person. Uh, And then he looks at the wall and he gets pissed because a little picture has been taken down. Um, and he tells her, go get it where you've hidden it. And she goes, I didn't hide it. I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, well, call the servants. You're telling me you didn't take it down. So obviously you're saying the servants did. So they pull in deaf cook and she's going, I didn't take it down. And then as he's doing this, he's lighting the gas light as he's doing these questions to the servants. And so then she says, send Nancy in and go look for the picture. And she goes, don't send Nancy in. Not Nancy. No, I'll go look for it. And she goes to behind the grandfather clock on the stairwell. And it's there. And he goes, see, you knew where it was. And she said, only because I found it here before when it's gone missing. So he is really messing with Yeah, it's like, that part, it was messing with my head. I was like, wait, but how... How do you know that it's there? It goes missing. I don't understand. What is this a picture of? Does it even matter? No. I don't get it. No. It doesn't matter. It only matters that he has made it into an issue. And she goes to the same place where every time he does this to her, that's where it is. So she thinks she must have put it there. And so he goes, you're too ill to go to the theater. I'm going out on my own. Okay, so she goes, I get so frightened of the house alone. She's begging him, begging him to stay. Okay. Uh, Nancy comes on to Gregory again. And then she's in the house alone and she hears footsteps above her. Oh, so irritating. I know. (laughs) And she sees the gas and the light go down, which means... Somewhere else in the house, someone has lit the gas, so not as much gas is coming into that gaslight. 
Well, um, there. Oh, there's going to be a an, a musical night at Lord and Lady Delroy's, and Joseph Cotton gets an invitation to it, and um, he says, "Put me next to Mrs. Anton," and she goes, "The Antons aren't coming, and she's too ill." read it for yourself so Gregory wrote a letter to Lady and Lord Delroy saying they couldn't come and he, Joseph Cotton keeps that letter mm-hmm. well an hour has passed there, there you have it da, da, da. what will happen so much happens in every frame of this movie indeed Ingrid Bergman is so good at being so fragile. She was fragile in Anastasia, too. Yeah, she was. But, well, we'll get to that soon. Okay. So. Okay, I have set the table. Now we have our POC count. It's going to be really hard. Oh, I have none. Zippola. Zero. There was, you know what, though? At that, uh, where we left off, that. Uh, listening. In the party? There was someone in a turban. There was a guest in a turban. So, you know, okay. no speaking parts, just in the background, from what I okay. can see. Okay. Other, otherwise, zero. Not even the help. No. No. Okay, nerd alerts. We've done some. Do you have more? Um. So, well, just the Victorian style and the film noir kind of style where there's a lot of shadows going on. Yes. Um, also, this movie fell into a series of movies from ni- the 1940s called Don't Trust Your Husband movies. <laughs> so these are the movies from just from 1940. Rebecca, Suspicion, Shadow of a Di- Doubt, Gaslight, Jane Eyre, Dragonwick, Notorious, The Spiral Staircase, The Two Mrs. Carols, Sorry Wrong Number, Sleep My Love. These were all movies released in 1940 where a rich sheltered woman is threatened by an older deranged man and her house becomes a trap of terror. Wow. Oh, man, the 40s. I mean, what happened? I wonder what happened in history that made all of that happen. What, World War II? I was just like, girl, don't trust your husband. I think that the... But then a lot of these movies take place not in the 40s. That's true. And but I, they were written in the 40s. Well, they were released and made in the 40s. But I think oh. it, it really ties into what's big now. People, I, since the beginning of time, I mean, you know... Women's biggest predator has always been men, hasn't it? Yeah, and from, usually men close to them. Yes, from the beginning of time. So these stories and stuff, it, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. And this was their, these were their datelines. Their girl, you met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Don't, don't get murdered. <laughs> Do you want to get murdered? Don't get married. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, reheatables. Reheatables. Okay, are we doing the bad first? Uh-huh. Well, I already did the kind of my bad. 
one of them. How, like, the how old was she supposed to be when her aunt was murdered? Because yeah. I'm like, that's that's Ingrid Bergman. We had to make Ingrid Bergman work in this part. Who else can be <laughs> fragile like her? No, she could work in the in her part. It's just that very first scene where she, I mean, and she is fragile, and she does. Hey, she's a hell of an actress because I was, obviously, this is a young woman. I didn't know how young I was supposed to think she was because she is a woman. Right. Um, the marriage, getting married after two weeks. Yeah, that's that's a bad, that's right there. Come on. And the maestro music teacher basically saying, well, yeah, you're not really good at music. And what, you've known this guy for two weeks? Yeah, go. why don't you go ahead and get married? I know that I am your only guardian at this point because your mother died at childbirth and your aunt who raised you was tragically strangled in an unsolved murder mystery and you got sent here with me, this kooky Italian maestro guy, and I guess I raised you, but... You, you seem happy, so uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and get out of my hair, kid? Truth be told, I'm ready to have my house to myself again. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. Um, and the calling the servants just to put the coal in the, you know, well, they're servants, that's their job kind of thing. And I think that the nosy neighbor, the Dame Witty character, that had this movie been remade in more modern times, that she would be the one that solves the mystery and not Joseph Cotton. Well, a man had to solve this mystery. Because she was the one that was super nosy. Right. And into it, but her character was really only regulated to comic relief. She yeah. was the comic relief. When in actuality, she was so nosy that she would have been the one yep. to sort of piece these together and then go to Joseph Cotton and say, hey, look at look at all of this information that I have uncovered. Now yeah. go do your job. Right. Those are my bads. Okay, my bad for, uh, in the in the music, in the concert, the Lord and Lady Delroy's musical night. Um, the unattractive woman that they set Joseph Cotton up with. Why did she have to be unattractive? Why couldn't she just have been someone that who he wasn't interested in? Oh, I just thought she was someone he wasn't interested in. They made her. They made her be more unattractive than she needed to be. Oh, I mean, he I looked see. at her and went, "Oh my God, there's no way." Um, and then with when um, Angela Lansbury's Nancy was only listening to the master. Mm, yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, he said only listen to me and so she did. But in in her defense though, she was told, well, this the lady of the house is sick and it's not like uh I almost called her Rossellini. It's not like Bergman was um doing herself any favors to to showing any showing nancy that she wasn't crazy you know what i mean yeah it's just uh, why can't women look out for women uh, actually because ingrid women are... was trying to look out for her by not making her come up and do the call yeah but then women are also conditioned to be competitive to one another 
Yeah. It's women have been gaslit. <laughs> yeah, all it's true. The whole time. Yeah, that actually happened at my school this year. A gaslighting? Not a gas. Yeah, not insane, but uh, making one person feel like they weren't um, good enough. A good enough teacher. That's ridiculous because, I mean, if you're a teacher in today, you're already good enough. Because, you know, I mean, good on you for doing such a horrendously hard job that yeah, is not easy is, at all. Yeah, overly horrendous. But, um, yeah, it was um, a couple other teachers who didn't give another one the benefit of the doubt or try to help her at all and just... Stuck her under the bus wheels. Mm, you know what? Mm, you gonna you gonna have to eventually answer to Beyonce. Oh, they okay. And then one that through trivia I found out, uh, Charles Boyer was the same height as Ingrid Bergman. So um, in scenes when they're together, he wore two inch heels. And or he would stand on a box well, because he, he always had to be taller than she. He was standing on a box in that train sequence, and she kept kicking the box. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's more trivia about that. So those were my negative reheatables. My positives. I uh, read that this was written from a woman's point of view. Oh, I didn't quite see that. Hmm. Um, uh, just the term gaslighting came from this movie mm -hmm. and, uh, Angela Lansbury was amazing. Um, I mean, she, wow. She, her first film, she knocked it out of the park. Well, she did get nominated for best supporting actress. Did she? I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. And my other was Ingrid. I mean, she is just, she's so good at being so pathetic. Yes. <laughs> so you're positive. My positive is, is from the get-go. The aunt's murder, cold case. She's a prima donna. I already said it. I'm in. Like, let's go. This is this movie's in my wheelhouse. Um then the train scene with the with Dame Witty and how and I also thought it was a bit risque and also very funny how they introduced her character because the camera's on Ingrid Bergman and you just hear this woman go, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and you're kind of like, what is going on? This, this is 1944. I don't, like, what's going on with this? And then you re it's the reveal that it's the, the Dame Witty and she's reading a book and it's a murder mystery. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. That true crime. She's a murderino. Yeah, she's a murderino. Exactly. She, you know, she's in on that. And she's got a hometown murder that she's about to talk, talk about. Yeah. So I was like, that, that is, look at this true crime. It's always been around. And then uh, Ingrid Bergman more specifically on your how she could be pathetic and so good her she does the best dramatic turns like uh, the literal yeah. dramatic turns where she something is is so either she's disappointed someone or something is so horrendous to her that she, how she just physically turns away 
from whatever it is and it's so dramatic but yet it's so good yeah I'm like because she has to turn away to grasp whatever life she can find uh -huh. because like, she's gonna scream if she doesn't turn <gasps> away <gasps> yeah that was great okay um mvp well my mvp is the final showdown when all has been revealed and Boye, I, well, I guess this is a spoiler alert. So, you know, pause it if you want to go see the rest of the movie because I'm about to spoil it because it's the best. It's the reason why you watch the movie. It's Ingrid Bergman wins best actress from this scene. I'm convinced her husband has been tied up. She goes to Cotton and says, let me talk to him alone. And she goes in and he's all tied up and he starts in on his, Hey baby, like, you know, why don't you, there's a knife in that desk. I know because I was up here rummaging around looking for jewels and stuff. And I know that there's a knife in there. And she goes over and she opens the knife and she turns and she goes, oh, wait, well, I have it written down because it's my quote. She goes, are you suggesting that this is a knife I hold in my hand? <laughs> and just because she, Bergman oscillates from, oh my God, she's going to kill this man because he drove her crazy and her not quite being convinced herself that she isn't crazy because mm -hmm. how could this man that she thought that she loved do this to her? And yet this man also strangled, like, you know, he, this guy killed her aunt. And I was just like, is, and there's a flash in her eyes and stuff. It's, it's so dramatic. And I didn't know what she was going to do. And I just don't see that kind of performance usually in movies of that era. It felt really real. Cause you know how sometimes in these older movies, the acting is kind of stilted because the dialogue is kind of stilted because it still comes from plays and just a presentation of the way that, that things that we pre present and not, how the, the reality, you know what I mean? Yeah. How there's, there's a difference between the gritty, like something that's gritty and then something that's super stylized. And a lot of times the Hollywood movies, they were stylized and it's like, Oh, and it's over the top and all of that stuff. And like in this one scene, when she has the, she has the knife in her hand and she's just asking her husband, what are you talking about? I'm not holding. And she kind of is trying to gaslight him. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she is she gonna plunge that knife into his chest? It and you be, want her to, you really and you do, do. you kind of do, but then you kind of don't because I'm like, I don't know about the laws in Victoria, England. You know, is it worth you? Are you gonna go to jail, or is there something that you can get away with? I don't oh, know. She would have been. She probably would have been hanged or yeah, yeah, gone to the London Tower and her head cut off. You know. Yeah. Um. But just like, I just specifically remember this flash of her eyes and I was like, oh my God, this is where she won the Oscar. She just, just a full display. Cause she's just, she has a breakdown. And even in her breakdowns, 
they always it seemed like oh this is gonna go it's too much it's too actory and then she would always do some little turn where it made it all of a sudden seem very realistic it was just like maybe that's where the woman's point of view came in maybe but i think that's being just generous yeah I feel like if we had went to Ingrid Bergman and were and said, "Hey, do you have any notes on this?" that she would have had a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I for mine it was just her performance, her ability to be so shattered and so um joyous in one moment. Uh, we're going to the theater and then shattered the next. Yeah. Because she's because I was thinking about it when I was watching it and why is she such a beloved and iconic screen presence? And a lot of it, I think, has to do with just her face. She's got a very strong face. And it's there aren't she doesn't have sharp features in her face, but it is. But yet it's a defined face. And yeah. she has, you know, big eyes, but they're not huge eyes, but they're big enough to convey things. And also she just had... Like her, her face and her body had a, a strength to it, cause she has she's wearing a lot of off the shoulder dresses and things, and she had, like I don't know if she worked out or anything, but she had a very strong frame, which then made me when she's wearing obviously like a corset, I was like, did she get a rib taken out because she's got those <laughs> shoulders and. Like she's, right. she's not, I mean, for the forties and stuff, she, she does kind of looked, um, you know, kind of like on the buffer side, like not in today's standards, but you know, she's got right. decent shoulders on her. She's right. got a decent chin and even her forearms and stuff. Cause sometimes you look at movies now with actresses and you can tell that they're just, you know, they're just skin and bones. There's no right. sort of muscle. But she had, you know, she muscle was healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had, like, a strength to her. And I think that that always... And that was probably something that also added to her performance because here's this woman who... She's a, obviously a physically strong woman, but the mental abuse that gets taken its toll on her... Right. And the, the most damning thing that he does is when he says that oh, your mother didn't die in childbirth. She died a few years later because she was crazy. Right. And she's like, what? So it did. I mean, her waist, though, was impossibly small. I did wonder if ribs were taken out. And, and, you know, back then, it's very possible. Yeah. Okay, recasting. I have two. Oh, I have three. You have three recasts? I have three recasts. Okay. You want to go with my first, my just straight on present day cast? Mm Mm-hmm. I only did three people. Okay. I did Paula, Greg, and Brian. Me too. Okay, my Paula. Kate Blanchett. Oh, yes. Had to be somebody who could handle all that. Because she had to be, you know, pathetically weak, but she had to be really strong. Uh, and so the Greg, Christian Bale. Ah. Mm-hmm. And my Brian, Edward Norton. Interesting. Thank you. Let's hear one of yours. Which would you like to hear? Would you like to hear my 
Hamilton cast, my now cast, or my 60s cast? Okay, so I didn't do a black cast because I went, no black woman would allow this to happen. (laughs) Black women get gaslit. Okay, I just couldn't think of a single one. Taraji would be going, oh, no, you didn't. No, black women get, are you kidding me? Like, that is the existence of black women. It's just gas, being gaslit. I mean, if you okay. think about it, hair. Oh, you have to well, press your hair. Yeah, and, and which which side of the paper, brown mm-hmm. paper bag you're on. And, and stuff. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I, told, I just watched that Beyonce Netflix thing. I highly recommend it. It's just like, mm-hmm, I'm going to watch it. That's yeah. right, girl. You're right. You go, Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so what is your Hamilton cast? My Hamilton cast is as Paula, Gabrielle Union. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. As, was it Gregory? Yes. Michael Ely. Yeah. Yeah, he could totally mm-hmm. do that. Because you, you get sucked in with those eyes. And yeah. Believe anything that he says. Mm-hmm. And then for the Brian Cameron, I have Sterling K. Brown. Oh, that's a nice. That's a good cast. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Okay. Well, I flipped. I flipped a switch on mine. Mm-hmm. My second cast. My second cast has. Um, a female being the gaslighter. Ooh, because that happens too. Mm-hmm. So my female Greg is Marion Cotillard. Oh, she's perfect because I'm sure she's a delightful woman, but anytime she shows up on screen, I do not trust her. No, no. Did you see the one with her and Brad Pitt? No, oh, because so I just did not trust her. No. Okay, so my Paula to her is Jake Gyllenhaal. <gasps> That's pretty good. I know. And then my Brian, so it had to be a woman who solved it all, is Hillary Swank. Oh, I could see that. Wouldn't that be a good movie? That would be a pretty good movie. Okay, so... You have a 60s cast? I have a 60s cast. Okay. Because this Charles Boyer guy, when I was watching it, I couldn't. I was just like, man, I really see Yul Brenner in this role. <gasps> and then I was like, well, if I'm, I guess we're going to go 60s cast. All right. So Yul Brenner as Gregory. Then I'm like, well, 1960s, who would be a great Paula? Hmm. And I thought, well, there's no one else I would want to see more than Yul Brenner pulling the wool over Elizabeth Taylor's eyes. (gasps) Wow. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah, because she could be so pathetic and so strong. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. And then I would say, well, all right, Brian Cameron, so who's that going to be? And I was like, well, you know what? 
why don't we just throw in Gregory Peck for good measure? Yeah, that's perfect. There we go. That's so perfect. Mm -hmm. It could be Gregory Peck or Cary Grant. Yes. I went more with Gregory Peck because of his stand-up atticus finchness. Yeah. 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 Because you have to be someone, like, you would believe him. It's like, oh, this is an upstanding man. I believe him. Yeah. You'd be more like Cary Grant was trying to get in Elizabeth Taylor's pants. Yeah, I'm like, I don't really know how good of a detective Cary Grant really is. Okay. All right, so, and then my my now cast? Yes, okay. All right, so then the other guy that I thought of, of Charles Boyer, for some reason, he just had a couple of looks and stuff, and I said, you know what? If I'm casting this now, I'm casting Jude Law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got that devilish way about him. Yeah. And maybe also because I saw Captain Marvel and he was gaslighting Captain Marvel the entire movie. Oh. So I was like, hmm. Then I so then it's like, all right, well, who's the woman now? So many actresses that could do it. But you do have to have that vulnerability where they can crack and that they can have the self-doubt in themselves. Right. And it works best if it's someone who gives gives a projection of strength. Mhm. So I said, well, Jennifer Lawrence. Mhm. Jude Law and Jennifer yeah. Lawrence. There you yeah. go. And so then for this one, I know he's a little old for this, but there was something when I was watching the movie where I saw I saw Tom Cotton and I'm like, oh man, you know what? Tom Cotton. Joseph Remi- Cotton. Oh, sorry. That's telling. Uh, I, I'm waiting. Joseph Cotton reminds me a lot of Tom Hanks. You know, I was thinking Tom Hanks too. Yeah. So yeah. I went with Tom Hanks, even though I think he's a little old. But there's just something when I'm when I'm in this role and stuff and just in general where I'm just like, man, Tom or Joseph Cotton. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's very Tom Hanksy, just the every man yeah. kind of, you know, he's, he's good looking, but not too good looking. Right. Right. Just everyday kind of upstanding good dude usually. Right. Yep. There you have it. Yeah. I thought of Tom Hanks too. And really, you know, cause he, that character as a young boy was in love with her aunt. Oh, you don't know that. That's another Which, story. I mean, that's not in a, love, love, but, but like had a had a celebrity crush on. Yeah, that's in one of. I forgot to add that. That's in one of my bad reheatables for me, because that was just a little too neat. Yeah. Of well, how are you going to get her to trust made, her? Yeah, because um, spoiler alert again. Um, He's the one who got the other glove. At some point, she gave him the other glove at one of her concerts because he was a younger man who was just enthralled with her stage presence and voice. I really think it made more sense to give it to. I wanted her to find that glove in in his um, stuff upstairs. Yeah, but it, he couldn't. Ha- the problem was is that if he didn't have the glove, that was his way to get an audience with her. That was his way to show that that, that he could the be aunt trusted. thought he was trustworthy. Yeah, which yeah. the aunt didn't even know him. The aunt was just the aunt's famous. He's this little kid who is gushing over and is like, 
here you go. That's the equivalent of like something happening to Steph Curry and years later, um, a kid comes with like one of his shoes that he gave him at a court side. And it's like, you can trust me, Aisha. Steph yeah. gave me this pair of shoes. Yeah. Like it's, Steph yeah. doesn't know you. He just, you was just, you were right. a kid. He was just trying to make a kid happy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was fun. Mm -hmm. Tasty nuggets. Mm. We've done several. Um, well, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Writing, and Best Cinematography, Black and White. And it won for Best Actress, Ingrid Bergman, and Best Art Direction in Black, Interior in Black and White. Mm -hmm. And part of the, um, the art decoration, what did you say, what kind of decoration? Best art direction, internal, interior, black and white. Interior was um, they they had the place so overfilled with tchotchkes, and so that she would seem like she was even more claustrophobic. Ah, uh, it was very full. That does make sense. It was, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was good. Um. Okay. So the 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 billing of on the poster. Mm-hmm. They, um, there was a fight who Charles Poirier or Ingrid Bergman was going to get top billing. And they settled on something called a sandwich billing where there's uh, two men and the woman is in between. Oh. So he had top billing, then she came, then Joseph Cotton. I don't know how that is okay over her being the top name the top billing it's not she should have been top billing she should have been top billing but well maybe or are they did they decide to go alphabetically no they did there was no they didn't they uh, her people well also <laughs> i think ingrid ingrid bergman and joseph cotton were on loan from David Selznick. They were indeed. But that was the fight. David O. Selznick wanted her top billing or he wasn't going to lend her out. But I don't know. So don't Charles know. Boyer was that big of a star at the time? I, I He was a big star, but I don't... Because she had was. already done I, Casablanca. Yeah. And, and he hadn't done Gigi yet. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they worked it out, but I know that it was something called a sandwich billing. Mm. Okay. Um, Ingrid Bergman said Charles Boyer was the most intelligent actor she ever worked with. Wow. Yeah. Do you know, like, about his death? No. Well, he was married and his wife died of cancer and the next day he took an overdose of drugs it was like i'm oh. out and because wow. and his son had died earlier i think he his son took his own life wow. earlier so he was just like you know what goodbye yeah nothing left here it, huh. it's been real but he was like see ya so I was like, oh, so, ooh, that is a uh, commitment. <laughs> so, interesting. 
And Angela Lansbury worked at Bullock's department store in L.A., and she told her boss that she was leaving, and her boss said, well, I'll match any of your pay, you know, because he thought that it was going to be around $27 a week. And so Lansbury comes back and is like, all right, so you're going to match $500 a week? And the guy was like, spit take? <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye <laughs> What was that? <laughs> yeah, I'm off to do Hollywood. Angela Lansbury's mother was Moina McGill. Okay. She was a refugee from World War II. And somebody said to the director, hey, why don't you, there were a couple of daughters. Why don't you, you know, test a couple of her daughters to see if they could play the part? And Angela was the first one he tested and he took her right away. Done. She's it. She was. She was. And Ingrid Bergman actually went to a mental institution and to see how people who have have um, mental issues acted. Mm-hmm. And she really um, latched on to a woman who had had a nervous breakdown to get her tics and her mm-hmm. um, nervous energy and her uh, behaviors. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, she's a she's a fantastic actress. She is. Oh, and did you know? So there's a 1940s version of this film. Yes. And it, it's we might have to revisit it because it's different. It's closer to the play, and a lot of people really ride for it. And so when MGM bought the rights to this, they tried to destroy all the copies of the 1940 version physically destroy like catch burn them burn them all but they were unsuccessful luckily and i'm sure that that the british were like what you can't just like go around destroying our our films i don't know if you understand but um we have this thing going on right now and germany's trying to destroy us so no we will not we will keep calm and we will carry on and so they were unsuccessful. So that's why the 1940s version exists. Well, I also read that the screenwriter added at the end for Charles Boyer to tell Ingrid Bergman that he'd loved her all along. And David Oselznik said, that is not happening. Oh, interesting. We're not putting that in. Because he didn't. He only married her to get the jewels. Yeah, and I didn't ever buy that he was into women and that's a kind of a I was reading something but I didn't really um can't really like quote it and get into it but it's just about the the these dandies in a lot mm-hmm. of these movies how they're they're asexual mm-hmm. um but most likely they're probably gay but because of the times they're just asexual and how they are like tormenting the women but it's usually for money or something. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other tasty nuggets? I don't think I have anything else. Nope, that's it. Well, next week's pick, I really, really wanted to do Tales of Manhattan. Oh. Because it's what Whoopi was watching during Jumpa Jack Flash. Oh, interesting. But I couldn't find it other than on YouTube. Hmm. And you... It's really 
not a good way to watch a movie. So I went in a different direction, but not too far away from this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be uh, a thriller. The year? 1944. 1944 thriller. Okay. Hmm. Notorious? Not notorious. Hmm. Suspicion? Not suspicion. A clue, please. It's not a Hitchcock film. It's actually a Billy Wilder film. Billy Wilder. Mm-hmm. And it's a thriller, and it's 1944. I don't, well, but I like Billy Wilder. What did he do in 1944? Well, it has the person who lost her Academy Award to Ingrid Bergman this year. I don't know. Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck? I don't think we've done Barbara Stanwyck. We haven't, nor have we done... Fred McMurray. Fred McMurray. I thought we did Fred McMurray. Have we done Fred McMurray? I thought McMurray? he was in like um like double he indemnity. Was. He or was something. in nine to five. Fred McMurray? Was, no, it wasn't no, he wasn't the boss. Yes. He was the, the head boss in nine to five. Oh, okay. maybe he was. Well, we're doing this one. It is double indemnity. Did we do this already? Did we already do double indemnity? Did did we do? Let me see. Because that sounds familiar. Because that's what I was thinking was was from Fred McMurray. I don't think we've done it. I think we've talked about it. Maybe we talked about it. Maybe it was another one that we did, but we didn't do it. And maybe I don't know. Hmm. I don't think we've done it. Okay, I hope not. Well, I have a I have one in my back pocket that I can always pull out. Okay. Maybe it was the killers I was thinking of. Day at the races. Tap on the light. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Double indemnity. Double indemnity. Sounds Edward good. Edward G. Robinson. Maybe it's just one of those I always thought that we did, but we never you, did it. It kind of it's kind of like a the postman always rings twice. Is that what you were thinking of? Yeah. Didn't we do? I remember we did like a noir thing, but maybe it was the killers. And the postman always rings twice. We did. Oh, maybe it was that then. Yeah, hmm. with her peep toe pumps. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's for that. That references for our our listener Wendy. She she did like the peep toe pumps. I think I actually read the book Double Indemnity, and maybe that's why I was getting confused. Maybe I know you did. I wrote it, and I know I've seen it, but it was long time ago. Yeah, I've I've seen it like a couple years ago. For some reason, it must have been on TV or something. So, yeah, our first Barbara Stanwyck. Oh, I don't even know anything about Barbara Stanwyck. I know that when I was coming up, she was in the Big Valley with Heath. 
million, six million dollar man. He's husband, first husband of Farrah Fawcett. His name was it Heath, the six million dollar man. His name was Heath in the six in the Big oh, Valley. The, oh. His name was Steve Austin in Six Million Dollar Man. Yes. Wonder what his real name was. I, I know it's in my eighties brain somewhere. See again, we're going down rabbit holes, people. Okay, next week is the thriller, Double Indemnity. Yes. Well, there you go. And trust me, watching Gaslight is is a gas, gas, gas. It is. Her it's, Bergman, it's a good movie. her dramatic turns, and her. <gasps> her yeah. <laughs> Just Maybe I do injury. have this knife in my hand. <laughs> and I can plunge it into your heart. <laughs> I'll just say that Nancy did it. Yes. Yeah. That's what servants are for. Yeah. Oh, like one of my best reheatable moments I forgot it was when um, the guy leaves, Cotton leaves, and he says, I need you to do, when he says to, to um, the woman who was deaf, I need you to, whatever you do, like look out for her and then when the guy comes in and because the lock and he was like why'd you lock it yeah and she was like it was the man and the woman was like i didn't see a man yeah and because the whole time like you thought that she was in it but then it makes sense because she couldn't hear and that's why she never heard any of the noises or anything right and so then when she's lying about the man like you know ingrid bergman is like what the hell like what is yeah. going and but she was doing it because for her to do a solid because she's like yeah you know i'm just gonna lean into this because oh yeah yeah how am i gonna explain that yep so that was good good. stuff good stuff Mm -hmm. well there you go there you go okay listeners all right Bye -bye. bye bye